because there is no hierarchy of trauma. Trauma has absolutely nothing to do with what happened to you. It's about what happened in you. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in this week. What we're bringing you today is a little bit different and it's powerful. I've met Matt Gangloff a handful of times and I've known that he has an intense personal story. Though before this conversation, we had never spoken about it directly. His story is the driving force behind his business, Enlightened Lab. And we don't talk much about Enlightened Lab in this episode. It's a great place and I encourage you to check it out. Instead, Matt shares his personal experiences in the military and his post-deployment battles with anxiety, depression, and addiction. I've been thinking about this a lot since recording. Matt offers some critical wisdom for all of us. You know, many of us live with anxiety and depression every day. It could be ourselves, it could be someone we love, it could be someone we work with or teach. It's an issue touching all of us, and I don't think we're doing a very good job as a society talking about it or helping people. This is the part of the episode where I normally say, I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Well... I'm not really expecting you to enjoy this one, but I do hope that you listen, and I hope you listen to the end because this stuff is important. So here we go, Matt Gangloff, right now. Okay, so we're here today with Matt Gangloff. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. How's that coffee treating you? Uh, it's from Drum Coffee, and yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> and I'll see you guys all tomorrow morning around uh, 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's your normal spot. That's so normal yeah, normal spot. I'd like to say that we just customized the blend just for you, but I know. Yeah, this is a service to all the guests here. Today. I know. I was I was a Bernices fanatic for years, and, and now just because of uh, where I spend most of my time, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the drum, tr- the drum crew. Very good. Yeah. So you are the owner, founder, co-founder of... Um, Enlightened Labs? Yeah, owner, founder, all that stuff. Yeah. How long have you been doing that now? Uh, let me see. So I remember when you guys were working with a launch pad to kind of get off and running. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Launchpad was definitely like my, my first stop, um, you know, back when I was in school here. I think I, I think I hold the title as the first intern to ever work at Launchpad. Um, really? Yeah, I think I believe so. Okay, I believe so. Close. There's you, quite a lineage there. So that's, I know, that's a big deal. and they're all great. Um, they're all very good. But I was the first. Just write that down. Um, so yeah, I knew um, I knew where to go when you had you know a new business idea that you needed to flesh out and mm-hmm. see how to how to bring it to life. And that, geez, that would have been. So we'll we'll hit our three year anniversary of being in operation February 14th of this year. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah. So three years and then we probably had, man, it probably took us like six to eight months of build out, Yeah, you know, just getting, getting everything started before that. Right. I want to get into all that, but, um, before we do for listeners that don't know what Enlightened Labs is, let's just give us the sort of quick elevator pitch of what your business is all about. Yeah. Well, this is new. I don't think I've ever, um, tried this one out, um, you know, oh, on your the, workshop on right the here. spot. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our mission is just to provide, you know, safe, natural ways to help you manage stress. We okay. do that a number of different ways. Um, you probably, if you've heard of Enlightened Lab before, you've probably heard of us as like the float tank people. Sure. So we definitely got those. That's kind of the core of what we do. Um, but we've expanded a, a lot, you know, over the last few years, all centered around that idea of, of managing stress. And so we've added 
infrared sauna. We've added massage. We've added yoga and meditation, both in like workshop, online, uh-huh. all, all kinds of stuff. Um, but it, it's really all centered around that idea, stress and in the conditions that, that, you know, get worse when we don't manage our stress appropriately. Okay. Well, stress is a reality in all of our lives. Yeah. But you've had a particular relationship with stress. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. So if, if you're okay with it, let's let's dig into some of that story. Yeah, for sure. You know, grew up out east of Vermont and yep. then uh, and then joined the military um, at yeah. a time when a lot of people were joining the military. Yeah, man, that was a wild um, time in, in history. It's weird to yeah. think uh, how long ago that was and yeah, and how, how different. Yeah, 18 years, man. So I was um, – in order to tell that story right, you really do need to go all the way back to – 911 mm-hmm. you know because you know I was how old was I I was probably a sophomore in high school in high school at that point and growing up in Vermont I mean you're not far from no. New York City I mean it's in the neighborhood yep. essentially or at least that's how it feels and you know I remember I was walking into it was like ninth or 10th grade biology or one, some some similar class and and um you know the flow of kids just like reverses, and they're now they're sending everybody to the library, and mm. and so they they tucked everybody in there, and they wheeled out you know one of those big old uh, TVs on the, yep. the stand, yep, and they were playing playing the footage, and I remember that uh, I remember that moment vividly, and you know man everything seemed to change after that, like so for people that didn't live through it, it's tough tough to imagine, but it just felt like. After that point, everybody was more tense, scared, mm-hmm. on edge, stressed out for sure. Yeah. Um, and for me personally, it was like, you know, I was kind of um, a little bit of a rebellious kid, was definitely one of those ones like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this town. I'm going to go do amazing things elsewhere yep. and everything will be different, that kind of thing. And and when 9-11 happened, it, the thing that it, it did to me was, oh, man, my view of the world went from this view that was like, you know, um, out there is like a warm, welcoming place full of opportunity uh, to a place that was a lot darker and a lot scarier than I had ever imagined, mm-hmm. right? And so at that age, th- the only way that I could really come up to deal with that um, was that, that that I had to be tougher, Okay. You know, yeah. that I had to be stronger. And in order to, be, to survive in this world, the right. reality that you're seeing at this moment is you yeah. have to be tougher. Absolutely. And, and you know, you can, you can say whatever you want about the, about the way I made the decision. But the decision that I decided to make was that I was just going to go for it. I was going to go after it and go um, – I was going to join the Army. My brother had just done it yeah. right before that. And, you okay. know, he was a – so he was a post – he joined post 9-11, but when he was in boot camp um, was when the invasion of Baghdad kicked off. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe slightly before that when we knew we were going, but it hadn't actually happened yeah. yet. And so I remember that. That was a really well-defined uh, moment at that age, too, was like, you know, watching Wolf Blitzer announcing the, you know, the invasion of Baghdad was oh, yeah. and watching the bombs drop and, and on CNN and knowing that my brother was on his way over there. Like it was a for sure. Mm -hmm. And it was after it, that was really the moment that solidified it. Um, in in my mind was like, you know, well, what makes me better than him? If he's going to go, like, why shouldn't, why shouldn't I go? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're talking about like 
the motivation to gain toughness yeah. to be prepared for the world is there also like a I want to go over and fight those guys that did this to us or is there is it more just I want to develop as a person like what's kind of you know I never had that yeah yeah a lot of people do yeah um, I think some of that is like a little bit of an ego defense totally thing like the 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 way they psych themselves up to go do something so hard is to get angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had that. Like I never had, uh, you know, I wasn't patriotic. I certainly didn't want to fight. I was a terrified kid. Yeah. Um, but again, that that's why I went was because I, I wanted to get tougher. Sure. I didn't, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to feel like I felt that day. And like, I thought what, what better way to do this than to go be one of the toughest people on the planet. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I did. Okay. So your brother's over in Iraq, and then you enlist a couple years later, it sounds like. And yeah, you're sent over there yourself. Yeah. So I, you know, you bounce around a little bit before you go do anything like that. So um, I went to basic training and then, then airborne school after that. And then I got assigned to a unit um, with the 82nd out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And that's Carolina. like the elite of the elite, right? Like, I mean, well. Yeah, when it comes to the regular army. Yeah. Or at least. The regular I, I, army. <laughs> I, there's, <clears throat> there's a ton of guys out there right now cringing um, because they're expecting me to be like, yeah, you know, the 82nd is the tip of the spear. Sure, or Whatever. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try not to do that. But yeah, I mean, within the regular army, I mean, they're definitely seen as one of the more, more elite units um but then there's you know there's special forces this and that and everything and all the way on up to seals and delta so i mean you're in the i've heard some of those jokes but i will not make them as a non-military guy (laughs) not like even open my mouth about Uh, any of those that's probably safe correct that's probably safe and and so the very actually you know before before my first deployment well my real kind of first deployment was hurricane katrina Okay. When that happened. So that's 2005. Yep. Yeah. Was that 2005? Yeah, I think oh so. my God. How long ago? That's or four. crazy. Four or five. I think probably, f- probably five. Yeah. That sounds about right. We're giving a lot to the fact checking department here. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys will have to Google all this for me. Um, so we did that. I mean, man, I could talk, I could talk hours about that. I mean, that was just a fascinating, I'm sure. a fascinating thing yeah. to be a part of. Um, and then, yeah, first, first deployment to Iraq was in, um, was in 2000, well, I was there 7, 8, 9, and 10. Um, so that would have been 2007, 2008 okay. time period. And uh, that time we were in uh, Tikrit, which wasn't a terrible place to be. Um, also, certainly not the best, but not not terrible. Yep. And how long is a typical deployment? Like when you talk about that yeah. unit of time, what does that entail? Yeah, it's usually a year. Okay. If you're an army, uh, some other branches do shorter. But yep. one of the interesting things about that one was that was uh, right in the middle of the surge. So I was over there, and, and you, generally they'll give you mid-tour leave. Like partway through, you get a break. You come come home for two weeks and chill out and then okay. go back. And I wanted to wait as long as I could. So. I would go go on mid tour as late as possible and come back and maybe only have a couple months left and then then come home. Sure. And so, I took mid tour and I was at home um, when uh, this would have been when Bush announced that we were going to do this surge program and mm-hmm. everybody that was there now was going to be extended. You know, right. So that one was was fifteen months, and uh, and so you know I was I was home at month like nine, thinking I had two or three months left, and really I had. A whole another half of a yeah. half of a year over Oof. there. So that was another man. I, and just in this conversation, I've realized I've seen a really a lot of really amazing 
personally impactful things on TV. You know? You yeah. ever think about that? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty That's crazy. That's been your, your view to the world. Yeah. I mean, as we're talking been. about it, I'm thinking about a lot of my interaction with this stuff. And, yeah, 9-11 was sort of a TV experience in many yeah. ways. And, and, you know, then I know people that are directly involved. And, yep. You know, soldiers that fought some didn't come back and, and all of that and but it's but a lot of that's mediated through television yeah yep you know? um but you had ex- experiences that were not mediated through television you were in it no no yeah we were we were in it i mean primarily our our job over there i was a what they call a, a combat engineer right and uh so you know in in years past historically that had a very different um connotation the job was very different than it is now being the way that the the war was kind of fought in iraq the 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 mission set that we had was it was route clearance yep almost 100 percent of the time and what that is is you know driving up and down the road five miles an hour or slower and looking in every pile of trash pothole brick you know whatever um and looking for bombs and you know 99 percent of the time there was nothing uh, but that you're not worried about the 99 yeah. percent. You're worried about the one, right? And I really think that uh, that is probably, you know, I mean, you could argue this a million different ways, but that's one of the most stressful things in the world sure. because you never get to go to that place where you're not in danger. You're in danger a hundred percent of the time, and it, to survive, like you, your mind has to think worst case scenario all the time. And so you get locked into it over time. Yeah, and it gets probably reinforced by accidents in the field yep. where, you know, bomb goes off and you're like, oh, that crew let their guard down or yep. they didn't catch that one. or Yep. And that reinforces that. Yeah. You've got to be on all the time. On all the time. So, okay, so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Sure. But like this experience, then you have to go – like you, you went back for a second major deployment, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I've heard you talk about how – you know, the first time around, it felt like there was some sort of higher purpose to this. Yeah. The second time around, that started to erode a little bit. Is yeah, that... absolutely. Okay. Again, oh my God, I'm about to tell another on TV story. So I'm sitting in the chow hall and sitting my... in oh in the in the chow was chow sorry. hall chow hall oh, sorry hall like chow the, hall. I'm getting the, the dialogue, cafeteria the, the, uh, the jargon. Yeah, the cafeteria, if you will. And uh, so they always have TV screens and they're always playing the news. And uh, so it was Obama at this point, and uh, he said. You know, in a press conference, I'll never forget this. Um, well, you may remember, they're like, well, we're taking all of our troops out of the cities, and we're going to hand that over to the Iraqis, and we're going to, you know, we'll be out, okay. you know, in the next couple of months or years or whatever. And I was listening to him say that, sitting in a chow hall in the middle of Baghdad, the biggest city in Iraq, right. like, and still going out on missions every single day, and people are yep. dying and, you know... And just hearing that and, and just being like, oh, my God, um, they're not even telling people we're here anymore. Like they're they're I don't know how they're going to explain, you Gosh. know, how people are. Di- but that really was the point where it, it just kind of broke me. And then and that deployment was a lot worse, too, because the the fighting became a lot more sporadic, but a lot more lethal. OK, um, so you, you've probably heard this stuff, too. Like there was a big hubbub at that time that. Um, like Iran was importing these these new kind of IEDs that could just tear through anything, and that's uh-huh. that's true. They're called, if you're interested, explosively formed penetrators or EFPs, and so those could go through 
I think they said like 14 inches of, of reinforced Gosh. armored steel. So they there's nothing anything. you can do. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing you can do. And so now uh, you're still driving around slow looking for these things that I don't care what kind of truck you're in. You're, you're, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and, – and it became a, a lot more stressful too because – things happen less frequently and you're going to think I'm crazy, but it, it, it's almost better if things happen all the time. Than, uh, I than, can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. then you're, that stress piece that yep. kind of we're, we're thinking of. And now you layer on this, like some disillusionment, like, okay, our country's kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. Uh, we're supposed to be sent here to do some, serve some higher calling. But yeah. But it was clear, like it, we weren't, we weren't getting anywhere. Yeah. You know, life was for the average person was worse than when we started. Right, right. The corruption was rampant and the fighting was still going on and it, it's so slippery, like you just can't get your, there was no winning. There's no winning at all. So, so it's just a matter of if you're going to survive to see the end. And so you survived to see the end of it for you, yeah. at least in terms of getting out of the military. Sure. You just sort of ran out the clock, yeah. survived that, which, you know, unfortunately is a, an accomplishment of a sort. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because, um, well, I was kind of held over. So I signed up for four years and then they, they have this policy that we were talking about beforehand called stop loss, where if they, they need you, they can keep you. They don't care what your contract says. Sure. And so, um, the, the cutoff day where, you know, if you were still here on this day, you were going back for another deployment. Okay. This was my second one was the day I was supposed to get out. Oh, geez. So it was like the worst case yeah. scenario, you know. So I got extended for 18 months past my contract okay. to go back on that deployment. And so by the time I got out, I was like I was already a year and a half overdue. I was supposed wow. to be gone, right? And so um, I just kind of packed up everything and, and took off. And, um, you know, I can <laughs> – I can look back on it now and be like, oh, my God, the kind of shape that I was in at that point. I mean, going from just imagine uh, one day you're driving up and down streets in, in Baghdad looking for bombs. Yep. The next day you're driving cross country and you're supposed to be a completely different person. Yeah. I was not. I was st- I was stuck in that state for years, probably years. Um, just at that level of 10. That level of stimulation, that yeah. level of stress, that level of yep. constantly feeling threat. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even, I mean, that lasted with me all through college, really. Yeah. Okay, so University of Montana came after, yeah. shortly after that return home. Yep. And you're at this, this state of high anxiety. I mean, at, at some point, like, this is starting to get start has to start getting dysfunctional for you. Oh, absolutely. Right? Starting making bad choices without yeah, manage yeah. that stress, right? For sure. And and that's that's a big problem with with going from you know the military to college is uh, you know the military kind of famous for its drinking culture. College yep. same way. Sure. Uh, and for me, the way that it kind of manifested itself was, you know, I, I was absolutely stressed to the the maximum i think by that point you could definitely make the case that it was becoming clinical yep like certainly ptsd probably Mm -hmm. anxiety depression um definitely some chronic pain stuff and then and then the way that i that i kind of dealt with that was the the way that that stress anxiety really manifests itself the the thing that you notice first is how busy your mind is Mm. all the time uh and it's usually like a really negative uh, kind of, um, kind of bend okay. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking all the time, dwelling all the time, mostly negative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mostly about how 
you could or should be different so the things that bother you don't bother you anymore, right? Which is a downward spiral. Which is yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. a downward spiral. And the, the only thing that I really found um, that that could shut off that just racing mind was alcohol, mm-hmm. and which, you know, this is, man, uh, this I think is a much bigger problem than anybody is willing to give it yeah. credit for. Um, but the, the two things were perfect. The, the, me coming off, you know, the, the military stuff and being at that high stress level and then moving right into an environment where it's perfectly acceptable, almost expected to yeah. be, to drink every day or to be uh, out of the town kind all of like a, uh, you know, in some college cultures, it's kind of like a, uh, a thing of distinction. Oh yeah. It's a badge oh, yeah, of he, honor. He can hold his alcohol yeah. and he can drink such and so under the table and, right. and, and. Yeah, I yeah. can see how that would be a really toxic swap for you. Absolutely, and and the thing that nobody will tell you about about alcohol is it's depressing it on its own. So right, right. If you're already feeling that way, uh, and you're you're layering on, you know, uh, uh, alcohol on top of that, like good luck. It's not gonna it's not gonna be pretty, and it got very unpretty. Yeah, for me, really, really. So fast. while you're an undergrad, or is this had you graduate? Like, how are you coping as a student at this point? You know, I always did pretty well in school. Um, you know, I was, I don't know, we could look it up, um, but I was always Dean's List or, you know, school really came yeah. easy to me. Yeah. Um, but all Which can be part of the problem, right? You're, you're functioning is. at a high level in your sort of day job, so yeah. to speak, but you're also getting, you know, falling apart outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I could get by with kind of doing the minimum right. and right. was never too, like, overly challenged by it and could just kind of get by. But then I was left filling, like, figuring out how to fill the other, you know, because you're not all that busy as a college student, especially, well, I was, I shouldn't say that there's plenty of people who are working full time and going to class. I didn't have to do that yep. because GI Bill sure. and all that. So I was really lucky in that regard, but also really unlucky because, you know, what do you got? Four hours of classes a day. If yeah, you're taking what are you going to do with all, your other, do with all your other time? And, and you're what, older than most students at this yeah. point. You're so socially distant, probably yeah, from the, absolutely. the core culture here. Yep. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and, I my ego did a real good job of 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 hiding that too. Uh, it's very very easy to convince yourself, you know, after you get out of the military, you're in college now, and you're partying a ton, and and it's it's very easy to make the case to yourself like, oh, I'm celebrating my newfound hardly fought freedom. Yeah, totally. That's a great argument. And but but what happened with me was, over time, you just couldn't deny that this was not a party anymore. This was like I was circling the drain sure. really, really fast. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, and so what, I mean, at, at what point do you realize that this is bad? I got to start trying to figure this out. I got to start making better choices with my life. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think the straw that really broke the camel's back was, um, realizing how much money I'd run through, um, you know, because you, when you, especially like when I was, you know, I w- was promoted really rapidly. And so I was making actually relatively good money in the military. As a soldier. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. And you don't have a ton of expenses. I mean, you would be banking a bunch of cash. Yeah. And if you're always deployed, it's just going in the bank, Sure, and, you know, and, and, and that was kind of my plan was like, this is, this is so I can really focus on college and not have to work a whole lot. And, and then getting towards, you know, I think I was probably like a junior when this all happened. And it just dawned on me like, oh, my God, by the time I'm done with this, I'm going to be out of money and starting over. And, 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 and that makes you beg the question, okay, like where, where, where did you spend all this money? 
And where did I spend it? I spent it, you know, downtown. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is still a very kind of pragmatic yeah. calculation. I mean, you seem to have this meta-awareness right. of yeah. you're caught in this negative downward spiral, but you're able to kind of, it seems like you can be kind of present enough to realize what's happening around you. That could be just because I'm looking back on it now. Perhaps, yeah, that's a good point. Because yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, the, the way that I experienced it and, you know, I don't, this is something, you, the next thing I'm going to say is something you want to be careful with. Um, but, or, or I just want to warn people about what I'm about to say. So for me, the way that I experienced this when I was at kind of my lowest point was, you know, the racing mind, mm-hmm. but the things that it was saying were all that I should kill myself mm. constantly. Really? I mean, 24 hours a day. God. Um, you know, I... I have to go deposit this check at the bank, kill yourself. I have to go, you know, anything. Could, wow. It was just... It's a constant track. In and it mind. loops back on itself. So it says, you know, I'm, ha- I'm having this suicidal thought. And then what we do is we go, okay, what, what's wrong with you? What's so wrong with you that you yeah, have these thoughts? Yeah, and then you're yeah, stuck yeah, back you're stuck in, in that it. loop, yeah, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, and it did get worse from there, but it kind of all kind of came to a breaking point where it was no longer like a private thing that I was dealing with. Like uh-huh. the right people got notified and, and it was an ugly process. You know, the story's not that great, but, but the right people found out about it. And okay. So you're developing a support network of a sort? Yeah, just, you know, friends and, and – well, one, one part of it that I definitely can share, and this is something that um, probably is important for, for people to hear is, you know, when this all blew up, uh, when it when it all finally came to a head, you know, I called my brother who was was now living out here with me, going to school too. Which okay. was oh my god, that was the coolest thing. In yeah, the world. I'm sure. Um, and you know, he had just gotten out. He had had similar experiences. Was obviously suffering in his own right, but he was suffering suffering in a very different way that mm-hmm. I, like looked better to me, I guess. Um, and and I called him when all this happened, and I told him, you know, how I was how I was feeling, what I was thinking about doing, and and uh, I'll never forget what he said he just kind of like nod, nodded his head and uh and he he you know teared up a little bit and he goes and he just looked at me and he said uh i don't have any idea what to do either hmm. and for me yeah that was like oh my god because that just broke down all these narratives that i had about like oh everybody else has this figured out it's only me that doesn't know what sure, to you're do not alone. not alone at all and uh and that really woke me up to the fact, like, yo, you are here. You you have to do this alone. Like, n- it's great people know you've got support, you know, fa- friends, family, all that stuff. But you have to do this. Like, yeah. nobody's coming to save you. And uh, I remember it was the next morning after that conversation uh, that I woke up. And I'll, this is so funny that this was the first thing that I did. <laughs> it says a little bit about me. But, um, you know, I had... Uh, I, I started losing my hair as soon as I got out, which was like the worst thing in the world to me. <laughs> Go to because, college with balding. Yeah. yeah. Well, that in it was like a very a very standard way to say like screw the army. When guys get out, it's like they're just, I'm going to grow a beard. Oh, and I'm right, going to grow right, my hair. Right. Yeah, as long you're finally as allowed I'm to never grow your hair out. Yeah. 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 And oh, so that is that's terrible irony. terrible luck on on my part. And I remember you know the first the first positive step that I took was. I was I was getting ready to go to the gym here uh, at the university, and I looked in the mirror, 
and I, you know, I did one of those little comb over <laughs> moves that you do when you're balding. And, and I'm I just familiar like, with that move. Yeah. 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 Almost all of us this age, like, you know, even if you're not totally bald, you don't have as much as you'd like. But, um, and I just caught myself, my reflection in the mirror. I kind of just like looked myself in the eye. I was like, what are you doing this for? Hmm. Like, why does this matter to you? And I'll never forget. I just grabbed my clippers and I just shaved a patch right down the middle of my head. I've been shaved my head ever since. And I never, I've never thought about it again. Interesting. But that, that was the first thing that kind of put me on this positive track. A new angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Sheila Stearns, Commissioner Emerita of the Montana University System and former president of the University of Montana. You are listening to one of my favorite podcasts, A New Angle. And then, funny enough, this is probably... um, this is probably where you first, uh, we've, we first probably crossed paths was like, I realized that the stress thing was a huge problem. Like I was really in a bad yeah. spot. Um, the stress, but also I, I think it was more anxiety at that point. Uh-huh. And one of the way that it, it really manifested in me was I couldn't talk to anybody like this, having this conversation that I'm having here sure. with you and looking yeah, you yeah. in the eyes, a complete impossibility, uh, however many, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd break out in hives. Sure. You know, I'd sweat. I'd, my yeah, eyes would water. You probably couldn't even access those things. Couldn't you? It just felt like anytime somebody looked at me, they could see all the shit that I had oh, done. Yeah. You yeah. know, they could okay. see right through you. And um, and and so I, I just kind of felt myself like crushing in on myself, like becoming smaller and more withdrawn. And and so, you know, I, um, I had Cameron's class. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, summer was coming up and I was like, man, I know I get really down when I don't have stuff to do. Like maybe I can do some kind of independent study. And so I I did one with Cameron and, um, and so I spent the whole summer like tinkering around with this cool stuff and, and trying to like build a prototype for something. Mm -hmm. And and finally I got something together that was, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's terrible. It doesn't, but that doesn't matter. So I I bring it to Cameron. Sure. You're you're making something. Yeah. And he just kind of, you know, as he's always very warm and everything, but just kind of nodded and he goes, okay, now, now build a business out of it. Hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's a completely different thing. I don't even know. I'm I'm three years into a business degree and I don't, where do I start? I don't even know where to start. So that's when I went to Launchpad. Right. I became an intern there. I, you know, took Paul for all he was worth in terms of advice and, and, and mentorship. And, and then, so that, this would have been now my senior year. Uh, we entered the, or I, I guess I was a solo at that point. I entered the um, business plan competition in the winter, and we won that. And that was like, and this is with this little gadget idea. This is not with the enlightened idea. Right? No, this so that yeah, this was the little gadget idea. We we're just building like, uh, you know, like wireless chemical detectors. The application okay. was like we wanted to use them for like pollution, fracking, sure. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we do the first business plan competition, and now I'm going from guy who can't look you in the eyes uh, or have a conversation with you without having a, you know, anxiety attack Mm -hmm. to somebody who's uh, standing in front of, I don't know, 200 people pitching an idea that, you know, and then uh, so that was like, that really got me fired up and uh, and, because I was seeing this progress because. And and are you alone in this progress or are you you getting some, some therapy, some counseling? Like what's. 
Yeah, at this team? point, um, you just, you just I was white knuckling it, man. Okay. I was just white knuckling the whole thing. Off the booze? I, you know, like I, I definitely took a major uh, step back, but you know, I wasn't off of it at all. Okay. Um, but, but that's interesting uh, that you bring that up because that was that was one of the first things that I noticed that that I realized that had the biggest effect on my stress and anxiety was like if I was doing. Um, like if I had to go pitch somewhere, or go have a conversation, I just like, like two, two, two or three days before, just stop, don't drink, because oh, get some clarity of mind, feel better, better sleep, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean everybody that um, gives up alcohol or even goes on a um, break from it, that's the first thing they say is that's the worst part about uh, having a drinking habit is like is the anxiety that you feel the very next morning, mm. and so that was how I how I started. Um, and then, so I kept getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And, and really the thing was, is I needed a challenge that was big enough for me to sort the lifestyle issues out that I had to sort out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just remarkable that you're kind of self-guiding through this process. I mean, it, it it's probably sounds pretty now, but at the time it, it was a lot of trial oh, and error yeah, and ugliness. Yeah, of course, and, of course. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is mm-hmm. like, if, for all the guys, there's probably other guys that didn't make it as far as you have you know what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. like yeah that's absolutely true you fought really hard made good choices um but didn't have a lot of help along the way sure it sounds like yeah yeah i wasn't doing the therapy thing you know i wasn't you know i wasn't sober or anything like that i was just kind of trying to do a little bit better um yeah something you were working toward yeah yeah i just needed something that was meaningful enough sure. so that everything else became less important. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and probably I needed some self-confidence too. And like winning a competition will do that for you for sure. Yeah. And then, so from, so we won that one and then the, so I still had, you know, a semester to wrap up and, and so we entered again in the, the bigger one, the, the spring one and we won that too. And, uh, man, that was, that was something um, yeah, and you get some major seed money to yeah to go further this idea. Yep, yeah, totally, and that that was great. Ultimately, we ended up not not pursuing that business. It's just so far beyond what we were actually capable of of doing. Which, by the way, this is probably a good thing. But absolutely nobody will tell you when you're starting a business if you're incapable of pulling off the thing that you want to do. Like it's just an interesting aside, but that was definitely the case with us. Um, and and so I came, I came a really long way through that, that process. And it's just such an interesting thing to me that, you know, at least the first thing, the first major thing that really helped me was like this interest in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I really think that you could replace that interest with anything like guitar, ballet, whatever turns you on. Sure. Like that's the thing that you probably need to find. Find that. Yeah. Go for it. That's a positive life mm-hmm. force in a way. Yep. Yep. So at what point you know, does the enlightened thing get on your radar screen? Oh, or, man, you know? this is beautiful. I mean, th- you couldn't write a better script if you wanted to. So, you know, like I do do the college thing, do the, you know, startup business thing that ultimately ends up panning out. You know, it's very difficult Like when you when you need to start making a paycheck in a startup yeah. business right out of call. Very difficult to do that. It's a huge, huge uphill battle. And so ultimately we decided not to pursue that. And um, And then I go, you know, get the – the big time consulting job that everybody tells you to get when you get out of college. Yep. And, 
and was relatively uh, successful in that. But I was right back into just this stress mode, like almost worse than I was before. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think there's a lot of things that drive that. The first being, um, especially for me, it was like, okay, you just joined another team, right? Mm-hmm. Last team I was on, if if your chances of survival were better if you put absolutely everything into it. There was no such thing as work-life balance. Yeah. There was no such yeah. thing, you know, it just didn't exist. And, um, and hmm. so... And so I kind of started falling into the same old habits of just being stressed out and not taking care of myself. And and uh, is it in this consulting gig traveling a lot too? Not not or a lot here, of travel here in Missoula. Like what? Where were you working? Mostly in Missoula. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and and so I started to feel the effects of stress. And um, man, this is it's so funny. The the thing that got me. You ever listen to Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I figured everybody does. It seems like, um, so I was really, I got really big into the Joe Rogan podcast all the way back when I was doing that first summer internship for, for Cameron. And, uh, so I'd be like tinkering on this little thing and, and watching the Joe Rogan podcast. Sure. And I was still a big fan of it all the way up into this point. And so I, um, I, I, I'm at work one day, I'm just stressed out to the absolute maximum and I get in my car, I start driving home, and somebody cuts me off in, in traffic. And before you know it, like I'm just out of control. Yep. You know, yep. I'm punching the steering wheel, I'm screaming out the window, I'm do, you know, like anything that you can think yep. of, I'm doing it. And I get home, and the first thing I do is like I walk into the kitchen, and I pour myself a, like probably too tall of a glass of wine, you mm-hmm. know, and I start start drinking it, and I and I go and I sit on the couch and I turn on the Joe Rogan podcast. And it's live, right? So it just comes up wherever it is in sure. the episode. And Duncan Trussell was the guest that day. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of him. But they were talking about um, people who work shitty jobs and oh, what geez. that's doing to the population. Yeah. And word for word, you can, it's still on YouTube. You can Google this. Joe goes, um, he goes, yeah, you know that guy driving home from work, like punching the steering wheel, flipping everybody off you. screen. And that just happened yeah. to me. So I'm like, I'm here wow. with you. And, uh, and he goes, well, yeah, what do you expect? These like meaningless jobs that are not fulfilling and they're not, you know, they're not challenging people and challenging wasn't my problem, but you know, you can, you can fill in all the blanks mm-hmm. and, and Duncan goes, um, you know what the cure for that is, right? Joe goes, no, what? He goes, meditation. Hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's incredible. Um, and Joe goes, yeah, but what about float tanks? And I've I go, heard Rogan talk about float tanks, so that, that was your one. entry point. Yeah, but it, it gets even funnier than that. This is tell this will tell you how powerful stress is. is I had um, I had tried uh, floating like six months before. Oh, you that. had yeah. Okay, there was a little place up in Whitefish that that uh, I'm not sure if it's still there, but it used to be there. And so I was driving back and forth to Whitefish to go do this, and I'd done it a couple times. And even after my first time, I was like, oh my god, like this is the thing for me. This is what's doing it. Um, Missoula needs one of these sure. so bad. Yeah, and yeah. Like I'm, I'm just the person to do this, you know? And my plan was, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to save as much money sure, as I money. can. Yep. Yep. And then, and then, uh, six months I'm, I'm gone and I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to build this business. And that day when I, uh, when I turned on that podcast, um, was, like eight months or something after when I said I would be done in six months. And I hadn't thought about it since. 
like the so you the got fired idea, up about this idea and then it just got crammed away and yeah. then so this experience with the rogan thing in that afternoon triggered it again totally and he goes the way that and I burst into tears when he said this. He's wow. like, anyone can do it. He's like, the biggest uh, biggest float tank center in the world just opened in Pasadena. Like, the word's out. Everybody knows. Like, this is a thing that everybody needs. And um, and I uh, and it just broke me because I realized, like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just as off track as I've ever been, but I'm doing it in a way that, like, that's what everybody tells you to do. Yep. Like, go get the job, do the things, right. save the money, you're, you know. You're doing everything right. Sort of. Yep. But I'm still suffering like hell. Yeah. And and what really so And then an outsider might look at you and think, Man, he's got it all together. Oh, he's yeah. crushing it at work. He's doing great. And have no idea that you're kind of a mess inside. Yeah. So I didn't really know what to do. Um I kinda went went to bed that night thinking like, Oh man, I'm gonna quit my job tomorrow. Um but I wasn't sure until you know, I walked in and you know, all these people that I worked with, that I went to school with, that we graduated together, yep. and now we're all doing this thing, who have really good lives by by comparison. You know, they've got good partners, they've got mm-hmm. great jobs. Everything is just, on paper, is going perfect for them. And I'll never forget, like, I, I, I locked eyes with this one woman that I work with, and she was on a client call or something like that. And the look on her face, I mean, it almost was like a it, it it was almost like a flashback to me because like when I looked at her and how s- the stress and f- like fear in her face, it reminded me of like looking at another soldier after, you know, something yeah. terrible just happened. Just that seen a ghost look. Huh. And that's when it hit me, man. It's like, oh, it's not that like I'm stressed out and nobody else is. It's that I'm stressed out and because of my previous experiences, like I'm really aware of it when I'm stressed out and nobody else feels like they have the right to it. Hmm. And that is like, talk about self-attack. That's the word. Like you feel bad, but you're not allowed to feel that way because you have money and a husband and, you know, whatever. Um, And that was, I was like, okay, that's it. I got this. This is not a problem just for me. It's not just a problem for vets. It's a problem for everybody. And if we don't figure out how to solve this stress problem, like we're going to die from it, all of us. I mean, the the stats yeah. are starting to to get oh, there. Oh yeah, and then you layer on, you know, social media and polarized political environment and all that, all these things yeah. just are hitting it on the accelerator. So, did you quit your job that day? I quit my job that day. Okay. Yeah. Which I do not recommend this. Like, if you if you have a good job and you have uh, this dream business. That, that you want to start, make a plan, you know, like don't, don't just jump, um, because you're under stress or you're, you know, sure. D- but these catalyzing events yeah. and, and moments of courage, yeah. sometimes that's what it takes. Even if it might be unwise, absolutely, it's the change that's needed yeah. to turn your life around. Yeah. I wouldn't do it any other way. Sure. I'm glad that the, the things that I've done have, cause I've, you know, made all those decisions. I made joining the army that way. I yeah. made moving to Missoula that way. I, I, starting the lab did that that right. way and so i'm comfortable with it for me i just don't want somebody to take my example sure. and suffer yeah, yeah, yeah. suffer unne- unnecessarily I mean, everybody's got to find their own path but I mean, oftentimes ripping the band-aid is the way to do things yeah at least in my true. experience so t- tell me a little bit about um the experience of the tank itself yeah and i know like we started this conversation with oh yeah they think of my business is just that float tank place sure. and you do a whole lot of other stuff and i want to circle back to that mm-hmm. but um yeah, what was it about the tank experience that sort of clued you in that this is 
this is yeah. this is a way forward for dealing with your stress and anxiety. I realized for the first time in my entire life that I wasn't my thoughts. That you were not your thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Explain so th- what that means. Yeah. So I, I can give you an example. I'm in the tank, right? And and so the tank, I can describe it really quickly for you. Yeah, I've that might help. 10, Certainly not times. everybody has, has yeah. experienced one. Yeah. So it's a big, big fiberglass tank, like bigger than your bathtub, way bigger than your bathtub. So if you could stretch out with your arms out above your head and your toesies all pointed out like that big. Um, and it's got 12 inches of water on the bottom. There's somewhere between 1,000 to 1,200 pounds of Epsom salt dissolved in the water. Okay. So when you get in there, you just float right along the surface. So yeah, kind of yeah. right along the your dead center sea. line. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And, uh, and so the water and the air in there is heated to what we call surface temperature neutral. So it doesn't really feel hot. It doesn't really feel cold. Equilibrium. It just doesn't kind of feel like anything at all after a while. And then you got control over there in there over the lights and sounds. So if you want, um, you can have no light, no sound, no gravity, no sensation of the skin, no no really sense of smell. Like there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing for you to focus on. Um, so that was, so I, I got into the tank my first time. And um, and so I'm in that environment, just pitch black, no, no sound. Uh, I'm just kind of floating in space, basically. And it felt great. Like it felt really good. It was really novel. I was starting to get pretty relaxed, although like the levels that I've been able to get that to after a practice of hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of hours in the tank is is nowhere near compared to where it is now. But for the first time, I started to kind of relax. My body started to unwind. My shoulders started to come down. My uh-huh. jaw, my neck started to loosen up a All little bit. All those tension releases. All those places where we carry tension. Yeah. And and then I had this thought. I was like, ah, I'm getting kind of hungry. You know, like maybe I should go. Uh, go to that restaurant that I saw around the corner after this. And then I, I watched I watch this unfold in my head. I imagined myself at this bar restaurant thing, and it would be too loud, and there would be people walking around. Uh-huh. And immediately, like, I'm, I'm the exit's there, and if this guy says this to me, I'm going to punch him oh, here. And, and, and immediately I felt my shoulders start come back up, my jaw clench. You know, like my mind starts to race again with all yep. these possibilities. And then and then I don't remember exactly what it was, but it just hit me. It was like, okay, um, these things that pop up into your head, those are not who you are. So you can have like the feeling of like, um, you can say something like, I'm sad, right? Um, and it's really easy to identify and, and say like I am that thought. I'm the thing that's sad, right? Mm-hmm. But if you said I'm a refrigerator, you wouldn't think you, that you're the refrigerator. You would think that I'm the thought that I just had. Sure. You, you know, I'm the yeah, thinker of the thought. Saying. I'm a refrigerator. Yeah. You know. Yep. So it's very easy to get wrapped up in this place, and I think this is what anxiety really does, it, and stress in general is it makes you think that you are your thoughts. And for the first time in my life, I had a little bit, just a little crack in the veil of like, you know, every single thought, especially those ones that were suicidal, self-deprecating, self-hatred, you know, those really juicy ones. I thought I was all those things. And then the first time I get in the tank, I realize that, that like I'm no more that than I am my left toe, like my left pinky toe. Sure. And so it just puts all of this like, all these thoughts, all this mental strain that we live with on a daily basis, kind of back in its place where it belongs, where it's something that I experience, not something that I am, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know that I understood it to that level. I think 
um, it's been a been a long long period of growth since then to like really understand what it what it was. I just knew when I got out of there that I felt better than I ever had in my entire life, and for the first time ever that I could remember, I wasn't stressed out. Yeah, and uh, and so I spent that entire drive home talking with the person that was with me about um, about how I could do this. Man, I could do this. Right. And then I then I came up with my little plan of going back to work and like saving money. Yeah. And, and then I got shelled for a while, but then you then you take the leap, mm-hmm. right? You get out and. And I want to be respectful of your time. We probably sure. don't have to have time to go through the whole startup yeah. thing. But um, how do you make it come to life? Like, what's what's the? I mean, you got the drive. Yeah, you got the skills. Yeah, it was a lot of hard work, and um, it was a lot of hard work. And so we raised some money to do it. Uh, we 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 took a uh, a loan, a small business loan, mm-hmm. which was you know. That was the only way that this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be pretty capital intensive to buy a few of these oh, units. massively. I mean, yeah. they go about twenty five grand a piece, sure, at least. Um, and so we, you know, we got the and you got to build out the space for all that out stuff. The space. Yeah. I mean, so you're talking a, a pretty heavy investment, yeah. and and so we get down to the end of this, right? And um, like, we're, you know, we're within probably weeks of of being able to open the doors, and we realize, like, oh my god, we don't have we don't have enough money to finish this project, oh, right? And it's like, so where do you get it? Um, you know, you got, you got a couple like debts, not, not really an option. We already, you know, got, we already knocked that one off the list. So you're talking equity, uh, which, you know, how do you value something that nobody's ever tried mm-hmm. before in a totally. brand new market? And then it was like, oh my God, man, crowdfunding, right? Kickstarter. Kickstarter, baby. Yeah, yeah. And, but that was just as terrifying because I knew that if we were going to, if we were going to get people invested in this, um, they were going to have to hear why I believed in it so yeah, much. Yeah, I right? mean, the video for your Kickstarter is deep, man. Yeah, that was unbelievably hard to um, to to talk about. Much even harder to put out there. And and one of the, I mean, this is one of the behind the scenes story. But that, I think that was the first time I ever talked openly about being suicidal. Mm-hmm. And I did it in a video that tens of thousands yeah. of people watched. Yeah. You know, and this is the behind the scenes thing is. Um, right before, I think the day, day of, day before, um, we launched that video, I got a phone call and I hate these phone calls cause they're always the same one of a guy that I was, uh, that I served with. And, um, he said, uh, he said, uh, that, that my mentor, the guy that I was closest to when I was in, he, he had committed suicide oh, that, geez. that day. Yeah. Um, and that obviously brought up a whole bunch of stuff of and course. like, man, oh my God if I could have just got this out three days sooner and maybe if he heard it, maybe he would have called like all that stuff. And, um, and so that was just, it was heart wrenching. And I I still don't think I've ever like dealt with that. Um, but, and and that's the important thing for people to know about that, that period, that group of guys that went through, I try to say this every time I end up on a podcast. Um, so I think it's important for people to know, you know, I personally, and this is probably mirrored in the statistics across the board if you really want to look at it, I lost 10 times the amount of, of friends to suicide than I did in combat. Wow. Right? So just think about that. I mean, yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. Unbelievably stat- sad state of affairs. But what's really cool is, um, you know, I love this concept of, of like the obstacle in the way. Mm-hmm. You ever read that book? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an old, old philosophy. But what's so cool about the lab now is, um, you know, I have built a business that 
the cornerstone of everything we do is about helping people manage stress. And specifically, the types of, of people that we do that for are people just like me. Anxiety, yeah. depression, PTSD, yeah. insomnia, chronic pain, right? The, those are the people who come in to, to use it. Not all of them. Like, certainly many people use it for many different reasons. Sure. But that's the core of why we do yeah. what we do. And um, I also, uh, we also have been really, really fortunate. Um, this was always kind of part of the idea was to make this available for, for veterans for, for free or for, like some way sure. to, to give these guys a shot at what I got. Um, and so now we are on our third, third, fourth iteration of this where we, we have a scholarship program for vets uh, where, you know, we, we fundraise from the community, had some really outstanding generosity and, um, and it just sets aside some, some money and we put these guys through a program where we uh, put them in the tank, put mm-hmm. them through this specific protocol and, and teach them to meditate. And so that's like, you know, I spend a lot less time, no more 90 hour weeks for me at the lab. Um, so, you know, outside of my little management duties, that's where I get to focus a lot of my effort and, uh, it's unbelievably rewarding. I'm sure. Yeah. Sharing the way with all these other people. Yeah. And I, and what I try to do for people, um, is, is, is very much not show them the way I, I try to, I try to do exactly what my brother did for me that day. Like, mm. man, I don't right. know. Like, I'm still figuring this right, stuff out. Right. But it's not the when you've got it all figured out, yeah. everything's okay. It's uh, everything's okay now. I like that framing. It's not that you know the answer. It's that you're you're confused as well. Yeah, I'm working you on know, it too. It's a, some, it's a solidarity message. We're in this together. Yeah, 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 we really are. And and not just vets. Like that's true too. That generalizes to you know. I see it in. I see it in myself. I see it in family. I see it yeah. in friends. And it's real. But here's the only difference. Like I have this conversation all the time at the lab. People come in and they go, uh, you know, I had this unbelievably traumatic experience happen to me. And then they always stop right there and they go, but it's nothing like what you went right, through. Right. And my I do answer, that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, it comes from a good place. I understand it, but it's bullshit. It's a lie. Hmm. Um, and it's one of the most self-harmful lies that you can tell. Uh, because there is no hierarchy of trauma that right. doesn't, that's not what it is at all. It Trauma is not, has absolutely nothing to do with what happened to you. It's about what happened in you, right? Yeah, and I can see how that distinction is dangerous for the person. Oh, uh, yeah. Like if I witness, you know, I've seen some things that have stayed with me. Sure. And I think, oh, I can't even share these with Matt because he's yeah, been yeah. in the real shit. Bullshit. And you're right. Like that's... yeah. My experience of it is what I experience, and your experience is, on the sort of psychological level, has a lot of similarities. Absolutely. At least the effect that it had inside of us is yeah. probably exactly the same. Right. Exactly right. the same. You know, like, um, I love Eastern philosophy, and one of the, the what what somebody who is smarter than me in that regard would, would call this is, like, the second arrow effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first arrow is, like, you know, the, the pain or the suffering that we're in and the second arrow, which is much worse than the first one, maybe where all of the suffering actually takes place is when we say like, there's something wrong with me because I feel that way. Yeah. And man, if you want to make a huge difference in your life, just focus on picking up when you shoot that second arrow at yourself and just stop doing that. Mm. You know? So if you're, if you're out there and you're like, man, you know, like I'm, I'm struggling with my drinking or something like that. Here's the first thing you probably want to do is like, don't worry about like quitting cold turkey today or like whatever. Just stop, 
stop with that negative inner self-narrative. Yeah. Just let that go because it, it – the, and this is how stress works. It's like it tells you what to do. Like I have to do this if I want to be okay. I have to stop drinking. I have to you know fix my marriage. I have to get this business mm-hmm. or whatever. And then the physio- physiological response is such that it prevents you from doing the very same thing that you right. do right. because you're so worn out from having this negative inner self narrative. So it's like, I need to go work out. And then you stress about what's wrong with you because you haven't worked out the, the last seven days or you probably won't in the future. And you burn yourself out doing that process. So the chances that you're actually going to walk in the gym are zero. Mm-hmm. So if you want a place to start, start there. Just like notice when you you have those self-attacking thoughts and see if just for a minute you can let those go. Yeah, that aligns with something, you know, as somewhat of an endurance athlete of a sort for most of my life, like getting older is hard. Yeah, man. You know, I constantly compare myself to my 29-year-old self who trained full-time and Mm -hmm. was really at the tip of the spear. And I never was really that good. But the older I get, the better I was. And you continue to make those sure. comparisons. Oh, yeah. Right? And I read this phrase recently. It said, take what your body gives. Every day, take what your body gives and nothing more. Yeah. And it's simple. I mean, it's, it, duh, it's not very insightful. But when you think about it, like, wow, every day I'm trying to take more than what my body's giving me. Every day right. I think I should be faster. I should be this. I should be that. Mm-hmm. And that generalizes to work. It generalizes to yeah. being a parent, to a business owner, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, every day you got what you got. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry about the fact that it might not be what you want it to be right. today. Yeah. And I would go a step further to say, like, that thought itself is the problem. The problem isn't that you're getting slower or you're whatever. Yeah. The problem is is that you can't stop beating yourself up about what you think the problem is. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, which is, like, so – it's, yeah, it's such a distraction and it's negative And, and it saps your energy. Yeah. It just, like, whatever you, you might have been able to muster, it, it just steals that from you. So, Matt, this has been a pretty powerful conversation for me. It's a different kind of podcast. I mean, we we started under the premise of learning about your business. Yeah, and yeah. We sometimes do that on this show is, you know, talk to entrepreneurs and, and so forth. Yeah. But uh, to me, this has been so much more uh, valuable for me and hopefully for the audience to hear well, your story. Yeah, good. Um, but as we close, I would like to um, give you the opportunity to say, hey, if people want to learn more about the lab, yeah. And the work and the, the great stuff you're doing to help people find um, relief for their stress and anxiety. How can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can find us on the Internet where you find it, everything else. We're everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, all those. Um, if you want to check out our website, uh, we the, you know everything that I've talked about, we've really undergone this process of trying to recenter yep. everything we do around stress. Um, and, and the other things that I've talked about. So if you want, go to uh, www.enlightenlab.com, and that's spelled it's spelled a little funky, E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. And as always, you can find us on the hip strip. Awesome. Matt, thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom, experience, and, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. That was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. If you're anything like me, this one will stick with you for a while, as it should. And check out Enlightened Lab. It's a place that helps people, and it certainly can help you or someone important to you. Okay, coming up next week, we have number seven in the Sea Change series. We're bringing back friend of the pod, Micah Larson. Stay tuned for that one next week. 
Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.